Welcome, welcome. Hey, I know you guys are finding your way towards your seats. Thank y'all for sliding in. We still have some of y'all a little space over here, but really glad you're here. We're gonna start this morning with a little bit of prayer, but to set up kind of where we've been, if you've been tracking with us for the past few months, we are working our way through the book of Philippians. So we're gonna continue today by, by checking out another two verses and just seeing all that God has in store. But before we do that, just pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come and remind ourselves of you, to remind ourselves of what is right and noble and true and holy. Would you, would you help that to take root? Like would you come in for each of us to slow down the distractions of the week, the morning, the kids, whatever it might be, to where we can sincerely settle, to where there's that Selah moment with you where we can reflect. Because God, here's what we're asking. For those of us who believe, would you help us to leave here more in love with you, more committed to falling after you? And God, we're praying for those who are here who are wrestling with faith or don't believe, would you soften hearts? Would you change eternities? Would you do what only you can do? Hey guys, if you would, please take the next 10 seconds and, and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful. Pray that my words would be God's. If you would, take another 10 seconds and please pray for yourself. If you have a faith, pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen your faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of gathering and it is our joy to open your word to see what it has in store for us. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well, hey, so excited to be with you guys. The text we're gonna be in this morning, it's a text that I can remember working through and storing in my heart years ago, and I've loved it then, and I love it now. But before we jump into it, I just wanna do a quick little recap to kind of set up kind of where we're going. I grew up in North Georgia, a town there called Woodstock. I grew up in North Georgia. And like a lot of young Georgians or a lot of young folk, I faced some major decisions in life. Like one of the things that's true that any parent tries to instill in a child is the reality that your decisions matter. Your decisions have consequences. So things that you really try to instill in young kids, right? You really try to instill this mindset of, hey, your friends, who you choose to become friends with will impact the rest of your life who you choose to run with, who you associate yourself with, it will impact the rest of your life. Like I can remember thinking through and considering, hey, if you really choose to invest in school, like what I mean by that is will you take learning seriously? Will you take learning to be a place where you develop a work ethic, where you develop a discipline? Will you take learning seriously? Like so many times you try to instill in young, young folks, hey, do you really believe Jesus to be true? Like, do you actually think he loves you? Do you actually think he cares about you? Do you actually think he wants to extend forgiveness of your sins by simply believing in him? These major decisions, everything from friends to school to faith, until I can remember facing one right when I went to middle school. It was a major one. It was gonna impact the future direction of my life. I thought through friends. I thought through faith. I thought through school. And this one was, will I choose to root for Georgia Tech or the University of Georgia? Y'all laugh like that's not a big deal, man. You grew up in Georgia, like house divided is literal, right? Like it's this mindset of who you choose to root for, it changes who you hang out with, 
It likely changes where you go to college. It potentially changes a career path, income, uh, income earning potential, like Georgia Tech, kind of like the smart nerds that run the world, but they're the smart nerds, right? And UGA, like at least then, it's, it's better now, right? Foolish, kind of just go have fun in college, then figure out later in life people. Y'all guess which one I picked. Yeah, I was all about, I can remember buying my first uh, Ugga hat, right? UGA, right there, man. I can remember buying it sixth grade and picking. Because here's what was also true, and I didn't know it at the time, because I didn't know much about football, right? Because that's really what I was picking on. Who am I going to watch on a Saturday, right? And I can remember picking, thankfully, UGA, they're actually pretty good at football. Georgia Tech's all right, but UGA, pretty good at football, to where I grew up appreciating, loving, and choosing the University of Georgia's football team. Here's what was crazy about it though. They were really, really good, but never great. Like I can remember growing up, the team that continuously kept to beat us, y'all remember Tim Tebow? No one liked him in Georgia, right? Tim Tebow in Florida, and if you don't like football, sorry, stay with me, we'll be done in like three minutes, right? He, he, he put Georgia down, I can remember multiple times. After that, obviously it became Alabama, Nick Saban a couple times with LSU, right? to where there was this this team that always did really well, but never did great. Like they did so well, I even looked up how well that they did. Since I was born, they were the SEC division champion nine times since I've been born. In that time, right, they have been to the SEC championship seven times. They've won it three. Two years ago, they were in the national championship against Georgia. Right, two years ago, if you, if you watched it, it was an amazing game. It was overtime. We totally should have won. Tua just slung it there and made this name for himself for the rest of his life. If you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. Man, we are good. I say we. I'm not, I'm not a true fan, right? We are good. And it shocked me because I read an article two days ago. I read an article on ESPN leading up to a game. Uh, Georgia played Notre Dame last night. It was a great game. They won because we're winners, right? They had this amazing game, but it was this article where it talked about the head coach and the head quarterback and how they view the entire team. They've had this amazing winning legacy. Like since this coach has come, they've won 25, lost six, right? And the games they've lost have been major games. Like they are right there fighting in title contention, not quite to the top tier, but from the top tier to everyone else, it's them. Like, and they had this mindset after having done so well, they had this motto for the off season. Their motto was do more. Like this team that had won championships, these athletes that many of them will end up going pro, these folks who are setting records, winning games, leading a title contention in the nation, they had done so well. And their motto in the off season was do more. Like imagine that. Like imagine being on the team, but if you grew up playing sports or maybe you think about career or life and other ways, it kind of resonates with you to where there's this mindset of, yes, we've done well, let's stop, let's celebrate, but the next day in the gym. Yes, we have done well, let's stop, let's celebrate, but the next day, do more. It's like this faithful pursuit of excellence. And it was amazing because as I, I thought about it, I knew where we were going to be in the text this Sunday. Like having read this article, reading about a sports team, reading about this college football 
team that has done so well, and yet their motto is do more. It reminded me of what the Apostle Paul has to say to me and to you today. Because it's crazy. Like, imagine if we as Christians, like, we took a mentality like that. Like, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, I'm talking to you. Right? If we took this mentality of God has done tremendous things, like there's areas of your life that no longer look the way that they used to. There's areas of your faith where you've grown, where you've done tremendous things, where you're doing well. And what if we came and yes, we celebrated, but what if we had the same type of mindset that Georgia has, where at the end of that, in examining our faith, there's a sincere heart posture to not neglect everything that God has done. That's not what I'm saying but to knowing that all God has done for you and in you, to knowing that, what if our mindset was do more? What if we created a sincere, true, holy discontentment to where as we looked at our lives, we had this desire to say, hey God, there's more in me that's not yielded to you. There's more in me that's not yours. Would you do more? Would you make me more patient? Would you make me more tender with my wife? Would you make me one to where when I go to speak, I speak as one who has a soft answer that turns away wrath, not a harsh word that, that shows up anger. God, would you, would you kill in me this mindset that when I go into conversations, I start the conversation thinking, hey, I already have the answer. Like, would you actually create brutal humility in me? What if we had the mindset do more. And as I share that, especially speaking like, like, like to Christians, you gotta clarify something up front because you, before you teach on what Paul's saying, you have to share on what he's not saying. Like when I talk about do more, here's exactly what I'm not talking about. There is nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. There is no good work that will make you good enough to where you are finally holy enough to where God says, yeah, just come on in. You're, you're really holy. There's no amount of purity, no amount of generosity, no amount of humility, no amount of fill in the blank that'll get you there. We don't do more to go to heaven. You don't do more to have a relationship with God. You believe that he did everything. You believe that he came, he lived a perfect life and he died for me and he died for you. That he rose from the grave to prove this is all true and then by faith in that, it changes you. Salvation. But what do you do once you have salvation? What do you do once you have the greatest gift in the world? Paul's gonna tell you, Paul's gonna tell me, do more. Right, the, the word there, if you, if you grew up in church or running Christians, it'd be sanctification. How do you grow progressively to be more and more like Jesus. And, and here's the thing, guys, because you hang out with church folk, you hang out with me. Like, we, we say this stuff. Like, we totally say it, but then many of us, our heart posture is, yeah, I know I'm supposed to, but honestly, I'm doing pretty well. Paul's going to kill the doing pretty well today. He wants to free you from that, and he wants to free me from it. And so that's where church, like, as we talk about it, like, I, I think for the longest time, the American church pastors, myself included, you know, we came, and I think there's like, even going back decades, the American church was known so much, especially across America, not, not every local body, but for like behavior, 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 do this, don't do this. 
And then by the grace of God, there's this resurgence in the truth of the gospel. Yes, behavior matters, but everything hinges on belief. You do what you believe. So if we change your belief, it'll change your behavior. And it's like the pendulum went from here on behavior, 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 to this next outcrop, which was glorious, to belief, 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 the gospel. Here's what you gotta hear. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more true. There's nothing that motivates doing more like the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that you and I are sinners, but he came to save us. The fact that you and I deserve God's wrath, but he exchanged himself for it. And now he calls us child, loved, forgiven. How my life was so marred by sin. And he looks at me now and he says, I will look on them and their lawless deeds no more. There's nothing more beautiful than the gospel. But here's what's true with the gospel is the foundation of everything. Guys, your Bible, your Bible says, from faith, you swing back towards the middle. We strive to follow. Y'all hear that? From faith, you gotta start there. The origin matters. From faith, you swing back to the middle. We strive to follow. To say it another way, obedience matters. And obedience, like in church settings, it like has this negative connotation to it, not biblically. It's meant to bring freedom to you, freedom to me. So where are we gonna see this? It's gonna be Philippians chapter two. We're just gonna look at two verses. You've probably heard them before. It's a confusing passage. People argue about it, but I'm so excited for it. Right, we're gonna look at chapter two, verses 13 through 14. As we just see God, through the apostle Paul, call you and me as we consider our faith to do more. The first thing we're gonna talk about is how we work out. We work out. Out. I'm not talking about lifting weights. I'm talking about growing in faith. But the second thing, one of the greatest promises in your Bible we're going to learn today. The second thing is we're going to see as we work out, God works in. To remind you kind of where we are in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul, he just set up this teaching where he, he called every follower of Jesus to extreme humility. Like humility where he says, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. And when he says nothing, he means nothing. And it's almost like he knows that there's no way that we stand any chance. And that's why he gives us then an example. We spent two weeks talking about how Jesus Christ is the pinnacle example of humility and how for it God exalted him. And there's this beautiful connection where out of humility in the heart of a Christian, what flows out of humility? Obedience. If you have a Bible, turn with me. Like you can find it on the screens or pull it up on your phone. We're gonna read Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna read 12 through 13 and then we're gonna come back up and we're gonna look at 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm gonna jump back up to where we're gonna start our time today in verse 12, and then we'll come back later to verse 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always, that word, obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As we look at this passage and we see how Paul He's gonna call us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
is he's gonna call us to do more. So now have you as always obeyed, keep going. The first thing we have to see is the truth that followers of Jesus Christ, we work out. We work out. And, and specifically, and then I'm gonna talk us through this, specifically what I mean there is you do not work for your salvation, but salvation is meant to work its way out of you. You do not work for salvation, but from salvation, we are meant and intended to strive to work, to evidence it. Let's see that. First thing is what happens here is Paul, he sets it up. He starts with the word therefore, which is why we know, okay, therefore. He's connecting it with the theme of humility. And he's gonna call them to this really challenging lean-in moment to a church just like us. Because churches, man, we love to come and hear grace and forgiveness. And that is true. That is the primary motivator. But you know what people don't like? Trust me. It's like 90% of my job. What people don't like is when you come and you say to a follower of Jesus Christ who has faith, hey, I think there's a better way we can follow. There's another step of obedience. There's another way to consider this. There is a way to excel still more. You celebrate everything God has done, but then you say, we gotta keep going. Like we have one life. He's coming back or we will die. And in that time, he has sent us as missionaries into the world. We're meant to be on mission by showing we are light in the midst of a dark and twisted generation. We'll learn that next week. How do you demonstrate light? You show contrast. It's by what you do. How do you do it? By telling people, by sharing this is where truth is. Before he's gonna call them to that, he reminds them, my beloved. Your Bible may say, my dear friends. He's telling them what he's telling us. Hey, I really do care about you. And as I call you and me to take faith more seriously, to allow it to work in our lives, to take the salvation and to have it show up, not to earn God's love because you can't, but because you have God's love. He reminds them, hey, I'm with you in this, my beloved. And then he says, as you have always obeyed, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. He, he's talking to them about how, hey, since I've known you, he likely wrote this letter about 11 years since he went and he planted this church in Philippi. And he's saying to them, hey, I've known your faithfulness. I know that you care about obedience. I know that you want to come and take what God has done in you and demonstrate that to the world. He celebrates it. And then he gives them this reminder, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. The context for this is Paul, the author of this letter, he's writing this from a Roman prison cell. And what he's saying here is literally, he's saying, hey, if the Roman guards kill me, keep running after Jesus Christ. In my absence, if I die, right? Or if I live, keep running after Jesus. Demonstrate a faith that shows you're faithful. Right? And that's how he sets it up. And then he comes to this passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's this passage where if you grew up in church, a bunch of people start it where they, they talk about, hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. Right? I'm gonna focus on the first half, but I, I just wanna first start by telling you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is what I've said repeatedly already, that you can work to go to heaven, that you can earn it, Behavior 
right? Plus, faith does not equal salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ equals salvation. That's it. You can't work for it. Work here, it's talking about two things, a pursuit of holiness and a perseverance as you do it. He's speaking to salvation is meant to work its way out of you and out of me. And how do we do that? We fight for obedience. We fight to obey. We fight to sincerely run towards Jesus Christ. He's not saying salvation comes by effort, but by faith. What is he saying? There's a famous book written by a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, great guy, wrote the message translation of the Bible. The title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he's talking about a life of discipleship, a life of a Christian. Paul's talking about how do you and I grow to look more and more like Jesus and we take it seriously. How do you know he's saying take it seriously? With fear and with trembling. He's reminding of the attitude of the heart here. Like with fear, if you think that God wants you to be scared of him, he, he doesn't. If you joined us, I'm always like the, it was a joy. Last year, I'm trying to figure out it's Advent season, right? So it's 2018, Advent, so that means it's gearing towards Christmas. December comes, and I'm thinking through, okay, I'm not all that creative. How do I come up with like some cool creative Advent thing? Here's what I came up with, right? All I should want for Christmas and we use this kind of like play on this idea of, hey, what are the things that we all want to get for Christmas? Like as followers of Jesus or as just people, like what do we all want to get? But we took this other turn in the third week, the week before Christmas Eve, I preached on the thing we should want for Christmas is to grow in a fear of the Lord. And we talked about how that doesn't mean to be scared. What that means is it's to have a posture of reverential Oh, it's to realize God's God, I'm not. He's Lord, I'm servant. He's father and he has sent me as son and missionary. It's a posture of humility where you say, Lord, your will be done. That's the attitude. That's the posture. That, that's the mindset. And with, with trembling is the reality. If you were here last week, we talked about how one day every single person in the universe that has lived, that will live, will bend their knee to Jesus Christ. Every single person will acknowledge them as Lord. Fight for obedience knowing that day's coming. You don't earn heaven, but because heaven's coming, you fight for a faithfulness here. Why I think this matters so much is obedience. It has like this negative connotation to church folk and it shouldn't. Like it should have this connotation of freedom to where so many times, like I have to ask this, like do we take our obedience this seriously to come and say, hey, even if your spiritual leader, even if your spiritual mentor is gone, be just as zealous for faithfulness. Like even if no one's gonna check in on you or your community group's not gonna ask, how have you read or how have you pursued your wife or how are you stewarding your finances? Even if no one's leaning in the way Paul was doing in their life, even if no one's leaning in, are we gonna fight to run? Are we gonna to fight to come and say, I want to work out my salvation, not work for, but God, you've saved me. Change me. Make me more holy. Help me to hate sexual sin far more than what I do because I still have this tendency to wanna to like flirt with the line. 
Help me to know, help you to know that life, it's not gonna come in more financial resources and money and the next promotion. And if I could just get to that house, help me to know that that's all vanity. You're the only one that brings real contentment. Help me to know. Help me to know that I'm not supposed to go through this life thinking I'm doing pretty well, I'm doing on my own and chug along that I am supposed to go in the midst of community and with people around me that will sharpen me and to be sharpened, that means sometimes they're going to wound me, to tell me, hey, John, let me share with you, friend, how you could have been more faithful there. Hey, John, let me share with you. Now that right there, that, that hurt me. When was the last time somebody wounded you? Like what I'm telling you is if that's not happening in your life, how much do we value obedience and faithfulness? If that's one means in addition to God's word, his spirit and his people, how much do we value it? And that's what I think, like we, we downplay this at times. And I think we can downplay it for good reasons and for bad. I think the reasons we can downplay obedience is we don't wanna confuse the gospel, right? I think that's noble. Like I, I grew up, perhaps some of you did too, in like a church environment where I just thought I had to be a better version of myself to go to heaven, right? We don't wanna confuse the gospel. But what we end up doing there is we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater where we come and once saved, we have this, the word would be antinomian, against the law, this mindset that it's not meant to go to work in your life. I think another reason is there's this high emphasis that when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, it's all about relationship, never about rules. And here's what's true. That's true for those who don't believe. But once you believe, guess what Jesus says? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. It is a relationship based on grace and forgiveness. And you know what Jesus calls you to? Obey. It's a relationship that comes with commands. Why? He is God. We are not. I think another reason why we don't like lean in with obedience is we don't want to come across at times as self-righteous. Like we got around people, like their environment was kind of pharisaical to where they just uh, would come and, and look down on others and this self-righteousness, sinfulness. And we so want to avoid that that we forget, I don't think this is self-righteousness that I'm telling you this. I think it's sincere righteousness that God wants to continue to grow in your life as he wants to grow it in mine. I think we oftentimes don't wanna address gaping holes of obedience in other people because then they'll do it with us, right? Like why would I come and talk about how, how a, uh, a husband cares for, pursues, loves his wife, speaks to her in a way that cherishes and nourishes. If when I go home, the way I talk to Taylor, it's more domineering. It's like this mentality of I'm always in charge, I get the last word. Because if I address in him, what if he addresses it in me? There's this hypocrisy we hide behind. Like what if I came and I said, hey, um, what's another thing? Like we came and we engaged with one another with, hey, I think you have an air of self-righteousness. Like, I think you have a mindset about you where you tend to think you're honestly doing pretty well, where there's almost this toleration of sins in your life that I can see. What if they said that to us? I think a reason we don't pursue obedience is because if we do it with them, what will they do with us? Oh, final one. I'm sorry. I'm reading from a list here. I thought about this. I think one of the ways that we don't pursue wholehearted, fully devoted obedience is we come and we make our relationship with God about certain aspects of faithfulness 
not the entirety of faithfulness. So, so here's what I mean, right? We come and we say, okay, hey, if I can just not look at pornography, one aspect. We come and say, okay, hey, if I can just come and spend time reading my Bible for the purposes of growing in a love for Jesus Christ, that's an aspect. But then we come and as we do both those two things, we tolerate this growing self-righteousness in us as we look at other people and say, why aren't you trying harder? That's an aspect we don't deal with. We come and we say, hey, Christians, you're meant to just give your life away, which you are. And we have this high value of, let's say, service, right? But then a low value of spiritually leading our families. A low value of being a uh, rebukable person. You know your Bible says, let the righteous strike me? It's a kindness. We pick and choose these aspects of faithfulness and then we kind of decide this is what faithfulness looks like when in reality, there's a much bigger spectrum. That's why you've run with Christians perhaps for years or for decades and you barely know them because we share part, not all. I was hanging out with a community group this past week, man. Jonathan Dennis, he's a pastor with me on staff. He oversees connecting, how to join the church, and then community groups. And he's been tracking with a bunch of community groups, and I go with him whenever I can. This community group, there was a gal there, my friend Liz. She asked the best question. It was so encouraging. She asked this question about, hey, as we try to pursue these things in communities, in community, because we have these values. If you're here, it's like devote daily, right? Pursue relationally. It's these biblical values, as we try to pursue these, at times this feels arbitrary. And she's looking at, to the group, she's looking to me with this beautiful sincerity and she's just saying, hey, how do we keep ourselves from like drifting towards legalism? That's another reason. How do we keep ourselves from drifting towards legalism? Because here, it's such a beautiful question. You wanna know what oftentimes is the difference between obedience and legalism? Your motive your motive is your intention to yield to God, repent of sin, and find more and more experiential righteousness? Or is your motive self-exaltation? She asked this beautiful question to where we talked about, hey, as we pursue these things, there's tremendous freedom in how you do it. But I can remember she asked it, and then I said, well, hey, here's what's true, Liz. No, we don't want people to think that you gotta come and fit into this perfect little box and you gotta do it a certain way and it's gotta look like this and you're supposed to move this fast and here's this one-size-fits-all approach to discipleship. That's not what we want. But then I said, but in a way, that's absolutely what we want. Because what she's talking about is we need to be a church that's known for real obedience. And oftentimes, a way to avoid obedience is to just live in this grace mindset that doesn't produce any change in your life. When Jesus says it's his kindness, it's his grace that's meant to lead you to repentance. It was this conversation with her about, we can't be legalistic, but we will be zealous for holiness. Why? Because he was zealous to save me when I was a fool. He was zealous to come and say, hey, your sin, I'm gonna take it. God Almighty, he won't pour wrath on you. I'll do it for you, John. I'll take it. Christ's zeal for us is why, not to earn his love, but because of his love, we are zealous to obey. We do more. And the way we do that is we realize we are meant to work out. 
Our faith is meant to produce something. We are meant to take obedience seriously. But here's why I love this, right? God, is he, he gives this amazing exhortation, this call to holiness. You know what he's gonna do after the exhortation? He's gonna show us how he's gonna help. He's gonna show us how he's gonna enable it. Jump back in me with your Bible. Let's read verse 13. Verse 13. One of the most comforting verses in all scripture. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm gonna read it one more time. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good time. The apostle Paul, as he's writing this, he's doing this word play on the word work. Because remember before you saw, we work out. God here works in. He starts with, for it is God who works in you. It's like this reality that, as we are encouraged to faithfulness, God enables our faithfulness, right? As he calls me to holiness, he helps me be holy. As he asks me to go to work, he enables the work. My dad has a uh, electric bike, right? Don't think like ming, 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 like little motorcycle thing. Think like bicycle, right? To where as he goes to pedal it, he's got to plug it in, it's got a battery, all that stuff. Things get up to like 20, as he goes to pedal it, it has this silent motor that kicks in, right? And not just the pedals, but the motor itself moves the tire faster to where with less effort, you cover more distance. He is enabled in where he's going. He is helped. What I'm saying is, is there's this divine partnership where as we are called to it, God enables it. Whereas we are asked for it, God helps us to do it. Why? He's a good father. He wants to help. And that's the part where it it says is he comes to work in you. Like there's a truth for a Christian that we have what's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Like God himself, the Holy Spirit resides within you. One of of the best best verses in your Bible, John 14, verses 16 through 17. This is Jesus. he's, He's saying, and I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside you. God wants that to take place. That takes place by faith. It is a one-time action. There is no subsequent blessing. There's a one-time moment where the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. And this is talking to Christians. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, dwells there. It's talking about how the Holy Spirit makes a home in you. Like why this matters so much is it's meant to bring about two things in a Christian. It's meant to bring about first, comfort. Like it's literally the reality of, you ever feel lonely? You ever feel like you can't do what you think you're supposed to do? You ever feel like that it's just you against the world? that as God's called you to this and you know you're supposed to be different, but you're stuck in the sense of self-defeat of saying, I'll never be able to be there. My marriage, I'll never be able to do that. The way I care for my kids, I'll never be able to do that. Kids to parents, I'll never be good enough to make them happy. You know who's one person that you'll never have to wonder or have an insecurity about their relationship with you? God. It's meant to bring about comfort. The second thing it's meant to do is bring about inspiration. Like, because what's true is you and I have the Holy Spirit within us. And so what that means is there's no area of my life 
that by faith yielded to God, I can't grow. There's no area of my life where I almost come and I can think I'll never change. That's not true. Like kids, when you think about your parents, do you ever think they'll never change? They'll be just as controlling, just as critical. If your parent loves Jesus, that's not true. You ever think about your spouse? I hear this all the time with spouses, where they come and they say, oh, hey, that's just her. Trust me, it's just easier if we do it this way. Or they come and they say, hey, that's just him. It's just easier if they do it this way. And they tolerate these things. They tolerate these anxiety tendencies, controlling tendencies, whatever it was, self-righteous tendencies. It's inspiring because that's where we know because God within us, we have the enabled power to sever the root, to change, to grow. And that's why I love the end where it talks about why. All of that is for his good pleasure. Last week at the the end of it, you saw the text ended with for the glory of God. Right here, it's essentially doing that same thing where God's talking about, hey, why do we work out? Why does he work in? It's for his good pleasure. He wants to. So many times I come and I talk with people and I ask them, hey, as you're going through this, do you think God wants to help you? You know how rare it is that people sincerely look back and say, absolutely. Right, and and that's even for, what if they've made a mess of their life recently? What if they've made a mess? And here's what's true. God does not punish his people. He does discipline. Punishment has to do with fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That's not God but he does discipline and sin does displease. So what's true is sin is a cause. Causes have effects. But you meet people in the midst of a painful situation. You think through, what does God feel towards you? How does God think about you? How does he want to help you? And guys, our theology far often is is way off on this. Like you meet with folks, they almost have this mindset of like, well, hey, I reap what I sow. God just wants me to deal with it. And if I get it right, then he'll come back to me and I'll finally feel close. Or, 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 hey, I've looked at something that I shouldn't look at. I'll finally feel good inside about my faithfulness when I've counted to 21 days of sobriety. Hey, it's been about two months since I raised my voice or I had a temper with my family, so I'm feeling better. And then as soon as we like relapse, all of a sudden, the moment after, we just think God just wants to come, guilt and shame, look at us and say, how could you? It's not what this says. We work out, we fight to grow. God works in, and it's his pleasure to do so. Do you know that God wants to help you? He wants to help me. Do you know that God delights in helping you pursue him? Do you know that as you sit there in sincere need asking a father in heaven to help you, he wants to. One of the most comforting verses to me is out of Psalm 119. It's this verse that says, turn to me and be gracious to me. It's this pleading heart for help from God. And the psalmist there, it's like he reminds himself of what is true in the second half. As he's pleading for help from God, he reminds himself, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. It's speaking to the character. It's speaking to the nature of God. God is glorified as we work out and he works in. God takes pleasure as we fight to become more like him. He knows that you're imperfect. He knows that I have problems. He knows that I sin. And yet he comes to me and says, he's mine. 
He's mine. John, you fight for it. John, you kill sin. John, you crucify it in your life. John, you fight for a holiness that's not legalism. That's sincerely because you, he died for me. He wants to help me with all of that. Beautiful promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you know where that is, and I know we've jumped around a lot. I just love this topic, man. If, if you know where that is, it's at the very end of the book of Matthew. He's just given this amazing command to go make disciples, baptizing them, and then teach everything to obey. Teach all my people to obey, all that I've commanded. And then he gives this promise, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll help you do it. Do you think he wants to help you? Do you think he's for you? Because here's what's true if you do. It's a comfort, Right? If you don't, you gotta change that church. If you think it's true, it's inspiring to excel still more. If you don't think that, you have an unbiblical view of God. Because this text, what it's teaching here, is it's showing this beautiful partnership. And many folks, they think it's about salvation. Right? I do think in salvation, so you know, there's a God chooses you choose, but he is sovereign. That's true. I just don't think that's what this is teaching. This is teaching the truth of go to work, church. Christ works in you. Go to work, Springs. Go to work, believers of Jesus Christ in New Braunfels. Be known for a sincerity of obedience. But no, he wants to help you. But no, he's for you. I saw a couple, and we'll end with this. I saw a couple work through this this past week in a major way. This couple's been a tremendous encouragement to me, right? Because what I've gotten to see over the past, honestly, probably, probably close to a year, is lives change. Lives change to where it started to where I was going to this couple and I was counseling, hey guys, I would end this relationship. It's so unhealthy. I would end this relationship. They took steps, they went, and they were part of a merge group. Merge is where we invest and couples that are seriously dating or engaged, she and he went to it and they started to take faithfulness seriously. They started to really examine, do I believe this? If I do, what does that mean? She was a part of a small group outside of it that had been encouraging her towards it and they've taken these huge steps. Part of things that happens in merge, they, they do something, right? And someone, you're gonna feel like this is legalism. I'm gonna call it faithfulness. They sign what's called a purity pledge where they say, hey, we will commit to God's standard in the pursuit of holiness, not to earn something from God, but because we do believe he's real. Impurity had been a part of their relationship in the same way it had been a part of mine before I got married to my now wife. It brought pain, confusion, and brokenness to them. But they take this massive step of faith. They worked out. Not just there, but they fight to have a holiness. They fought to have different communication patterns. They fought to change spending habits. This past week, I was sitting with them. I've had the privilege to spend some time with them as they're gearing towards getting married, actually, today. We're spending time talking through all these topics, all these things that you face in marriage. And the last topic that you address right before couples get married, it's intimacy. Right, you do that because you wanna close the door on that as much as you can, but then appropriately, there comes a time, you gotta talk about that. Because one of the things that the church has a terrible view of is the theology of sex. There is no one more for a tremendous sex life in your marriage than God. It is a gift he's given. It's a tool to bring unity. And there's a theology that has to be reclaimed. 
It's not a broken thing. It's a beautiful thing when used as God intended. But this beautiful couple who's fought to take all these steps, who's been faithful, who out of a love for Christ, not in order to go to heaven, but because they have heaven. They're sitting there and they're sharing these things. And they're talking about, hey, one of the things that we're concerned about is the day of our wedding, the privilege of getting married, and then you go back and there's time to where it's just us and ourselves. What if in that moment, guilt and shame comes from the past? What if in that moment, it's, it's more difficult than it is glorious? And I just shared with them, and we did two things. I said, hey, have you acknowledged that past sin and confessed it to God? They said, yes. Have you confessed it to one another and asked each other's forgiveness for how you sinned against each other? And they looked at each other and they're like, no, no, I don't, I don't think we've done that. And we read some scripture on, okay, you gotta do that, right? Make peace with one another. And then I read, how does God view those who he extends forgiveness to? How does he feel about you? And then we read, how does God try to help people as they pursue him? You know, your Bible says that God rewards those who seek him. You know, it says that. So if he no longer sees your sin, he rewards those who seek him. I ask them, so what does that mean if those thoughts of guilt and shame come on a wedding night? What does that mean? There's this long pause, this long thought. And they came to the realization that no one is, for more, is more for me in that moment for a purity of conscience in a beautiful evening than God. That his heart is not sitting there. What's true is, yes, sin has effects. But his heart is not sitting there in that moment saying, you did this to yourself. His heart in that moment is saying, I want to work in you to end this. Put to death guilt and shame. That's why I died for the sin. I don't want that to mark you. I'm working in you. Like in that moment, he's not back saying, you did this to yourself. In that moment, God is there saying, how do I help you? Fight for truth. Remember my intended design. Remember that I want you in marriage to be naked and not ashamed. Remember that oneness is a picture of marriage and what you're called to. What if we thought that God was more for us in our obedience than anyone else? We work out, but he takes pleasure in working in. He's here to help. Guys, we do more because, and this is a biblical play on words, we do more because it is finished. Like the whole reason that we come and we strive to take obedience seriously, the whole reason that I'm pleading with you, if you want to consider calling this a home, you fight the tendency of legalism. Don't you dare be a Pharisee and self-righteous and look down on people and try and make it fit in a box. But don't you dare come and call obedience legalism. You die to your sin. You tell people the things of God. You fight for holiness in your home. And by faith, we do more. Not to earn it, but because he did everything. He is kind. He is good. We do more. Pray with me that we would do that. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and just what it does is it comes and encourages the heart. God, may, they, may there be no confusion over the reality of we can't work to have a relationship with you, but from a relationship with you, we are striving towards faithfulness. We are not perfect, but we wanna be faithful. 
Would you bless the springs? Would you bless the believers here in Christ to where we would, we would hold up obedience as a real, sincere, and true value, but we would not be legalistic, that you would put that to death in us, that we would repent, that God, we wouldn't think we gotta earn something, but we really would reflect on the fact that you love us. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for a day to go tell the world about it. May we be faithful to do so. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well, guys, hey, thank y'all so much for coming and spending time and hanging out with us. We look forward to seeing y'all next week, but y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you soon.